Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. How can parents and caregivers help children cope with the horror of the Christchurch mosque shootings? Nathan Wallace, brain researcher and education consultant, says there are simple ways to help children and young people move from victimisation feelings linked to trauma to positive action mode. Kia ora, Nathan. Thanks for your time. Kia ora, Catherine. Let's start. Yeah, let's start with the, the general advice. Um, it's yep. impossible to entirely protect or shelter children and teens from what's happened here. But if yeah. you are trying to help them this weekend beyond, what are some of mm. your pointers? One of the main ones is the kids have to make meaning of it. So one of the big factors in mental well-being is what the literature calls um, coherence, having a coherent life story. So in simple language, that just means they've got to get it out of their head. If they keep it inside their head with all those facts floating around, some facts contradicting others, um, are we safe, are we not safe? Um, uh, basically, that's what leads to mental illness. So getting it out of the head means being able to talk to someone. The only way you can really get it out of your head is through talking about it to someone um, maybe writing about it or through play. So probably the easiest one is to talk to them. So just make sure that they do talk. They don't need to understand all the ins and outs. If the kid's only seven, he might just need to know there was a bad man and he's been caught by the police and he's in jail and now everyone else is helping each other. But they need to have make meaning of it somehow. If we just, they know something's gone on and if we say nothing, that's the kids who get the most traumatised, the ones who can't make any sense of it. Let's stay with the younger ones for starters. Sometimes will you see... Behaviours, I don't know about you, but I'm sleeping absolutely terribly at the moment and having right, weird yep. and wonderful dreams, and I'm sure some of the kids mm-hmm. are too. Yeah, I am too. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that's, um, you know, your brainstem is aroused at times like this. Like you're, you know, you've got four brains inside your head, but at the base is your survival brain, and that deals with, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. And at the top is your brain that controls your emotions and understands consequences and reassures you that you're safe. And they basically work like they're on a set of scales. So when something horrific like this happens, the survival brain goes up, which means that on the other side, the cortex, your brain that regulates, goes down. So, yeah, much harder to sleep, much harder to regulate our behaviours. It's even just much harder to remember where you put your sunglasses. You know, everything sort of goes offline a little bit because that trauma brain's been aroused. So it's really about calming that brain. The TV and media, again, the never-ending challenge to control it, but this, Mm -hmm. this is a time where... Too much is too much. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, I'm much better at that this time. During the earthquakes, I somehow sort of thought I might be a bit immune to trauma since I work in that area, and I watched a lot of the stuff. And I knew this time that I traumatised myself last time, so not to do that. So I haven't looked at all the images. You know, I've stayed abreast of what's happening, but not the constant stream of um, news and information about um, the pain and the hurt. 
so yeah, keep the kid, protect the kids from that. You know, in the first few days afterwards, we were suggesting that you actually just sort of get rid of social media and media and go back to things that slow down the kid's internal clock, like playing Monopoly, like going outside and riding a bike, like playing cards. They're really simple things, but they run at the pace of normal human interaction, whereas TV, video games, cartoons, um, you know, media, they all move at a much, much faster pace, which is not helping the kids to calm down. What you're trying to achieve is a suitable level of concern and respect over the significance yep. of what's happened, but to make everyone feel safe. And you convey yep. that in what you say and in what you do. And, and in what yep. other ways can you build up this sense of control again? Yep. I suppose that the basic recipe is to validate first and then leave with a sense of um, resilience and strength-based and action. So we don't go straight to saying, um, what can we do and can we, should we write a card, should we take some flowers? The first thing is to validate emotions because they come under thinking, you know, they come before thinking. So it's just as simple as saying, um, you know, I can see that you're really scared by this and that's, you know, I think a really normal reaction. Lots of people were really, really scared. It was a really scary thing to have happen. And by that way, you've validated their emotions, but you don't just leave them with that. You then are like, but the police responded really quickly, and now there's, um, you know, thousands upon thousands of people are wrapping their support around it. So you're acknowledging the emotion, but you're leaving with a strength-based. Basically, if the kid feels that the adult they're talking to is sure that the future is going to be all right, then they're a bit more sure. What about ages where there's a particular vulnerability to something like this? Yeah, there is. We often, you know, in the literature, the age of 11 really stands out. If you experience loss or grief at the age of 11, that's associated with usually much more negative outcomes than any other age. You know, we have intermediates because we've always recognised that this is a vulnerable stage of development. And then in Christchurch, of course, our 11-year-olds have already been raised for, you know, five years of their life in, uh, in an earthquake, in the post-trauma of an earthquake. So it's an additional. So, yeah, I'd be especially looking for um, what we have to do for all children, but especially for 11-year-olds, that I would be paying that extra attention to that age group. I would be taking the extra 10 minutes to be putting them to bed so that you're lying there and making yourself available uh, to talk to them. Um, it's just the same stuff we're going to do with everybody, but just being aware that that sort of tween's age is particularly vulnerable. Is part of what they're going through an actual grief process? It's funny again, even so far removed yeah. from the most affected people, you still experience... Mm -hmm the sense of the, the, the stages or the emotions of grief. And for these Absolutely. children, this again is what you're helping guide them through. Yeah, I was doing a, um, a Facebook, you know, a media live session answering parents' questions yesterday. And that was um, one of the questions coming through regularly from all of the parents asking exactly the same thing. And so, and so the ways of doing that, again, is acknowledging the different feelings, which I'm thinking of, of old um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's. Um, yep. Um, yep, you, yep. You will feel denial. You will feel anger. And the anger. You will feel so sadness. That's what, yep. That's what really come through, was this is a grief cycle we're seeing. You know, what the parents are talking about with their children going through. There's this sadness, and then that's followed by anger, and then, you know, sort of followed by wanting to do something more proactive. So it is very familiar. It is a grief cycle that human beings go through. I want to address one particularly sensitive subject simply because we are hearing that regrettably a lot yep. of young people, often without any intention of seeking it, have seen yep. this footage. That's do right. you have particular advice? You can't. They can't unsee what they've seen. But can, no, do you have particular right. advice for this situation? 
Um, a lot of kids will seek out the video, especially the 18 to 24-year-old age group, the, the males between 18 and 24. I saw that on the weekend with them actively seeking it out because they think at that age they're bulletproof. But, of course, that's the age that's also most susceptible to suicide and, and really negative outcomes. So even if the kids have, because of a lack of frontal cortex as a teenager and have even consciously gone to watch the video because I think they're going to be all right, anyone that's seen it, accidental or not, needs to get that out of their head. That is a traumatic thing for anybody. Even when the teenage boy is saying, oh, no, I'm fine, doesn't bother me, um, it's going to bother everybody. So the added challenge with the teenagers that have seen it is they may think they're not affected and it doesn't bother them and they don't need to talk about it. But we as the adults need to understand that they do need to talk about it. They do need to get it out of their head and they do need to make some coherence of it because that's a really traumatic thing to see. So even if the, um, you know, even if that coherence is simply that I watched this video, it was really horrific. Um, you know, it's left uh, its mark on me from seeing it, and that's something in the future I probably would not do again. You know, even that, it's not a happy story, but it's a coherent story. They need to get it out of their head and get, bring about some, some understanding of what they've seen. What about some of the younger kids? And unfortunately, we just heard from the uh, high school principal earlier today, even in the lockdown, of course, all this was happening so quickly. No one really knew what was going on. And it was shared um, early on. And as I said, once it got into those algorithmic, you know, systems, it was landing unsolicited in some in some people's feeds. So how do you talk through with with, say, a younger, maybe maybe intermediate or maybe, you know, high school kid? Yep. How do you talk it through? Well, you have to let them know the enormity of the event because that's that validation becomes really important. That even if they are denying it, saying actually this is a really um, traumatic thing. Uh, you know, you may not feel it at the moment, but your brain will be traumatised by seeing that because what you saw was really happening. It's not the same as television. And there's a part of your brain that knows that. So even if you don't feel like talking about it now, at some stage that's that could very well bring up very big feelings. So they just need to know that even if they're not going to talk about it now, when those big feelings come up, they can come and talk to you. It's not, they're not going to be ridiculed. It's not silly. It um, doesn't matter if they lose face because they said they were going to be fine. Just make it safe for them to be able to come to you because that is a really traumatic thing and they're going to have to deal with it. They're going to have to get that out of their head. Will kids also be talking about this uh, constantly with each other? We talked earlier about trying to dial down the TV, the media, trying to get mm-hmm. some normal life back into uh, into life, but they will be talking yep. as well. Um, yep. And again, is this a case of you checking in and saying, hey, what's everyone talking about? Hey, what's so-and-so saying? Just getting a sense of what's yep. going into their heads. Yeah, I might not even be that inquiry-based. I might just actually make myself available to the child, but now we make sure that, you know, we sort of plan to sit down with them for 20 minutes after they get home from school, but sometimes the phone rings and we get delayed. I would just be making sure I was making that 20 minutes, half an hour available, that I sit there with my cell phone turned off, and even if they're not talking, I sit there for the full 30 minutes, so I make myself available. We don't necessarily want to ask them so much unless you know you think there's something on their mind and you think there's something wrong you might want to inquire but I think it's mainly just about making yourself available so that while the kids go through this traumatic time if they want to talk about it and process it you're there. The teens that we saw and how phenomenal they were on Monday from across schools across Christchurch what you saw there actually was well, apart from the leadership in the first place was this was, was their own ability to design something that had meaning. So we saw haka and we saw yep. waiata and songs and we saw kids yep. lighting candles. Yep. That, 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 that is a sense of themselves undertaking symbols and gestures. 
But yes. again, we shouldn't underestimate the impact on those who have schools affected, friends affected, friends' parents affected. And are yes. we going to have to get used to the fact that this is going to be a long journey for those people? Yeah, I think that's the thing um, that we've really got to keep in mind is that, and I don't want to be critical of New Zealand, but you know, New Zealand's really good at responding to those emergencies in the short term. And we saw that with the earthquakes, the outpouring of love and all the, um, you know, everyone was so concerned and the whole country grind to a halt. But, you know, six months later, a year later, two years later, when people are still in trauma and there's still big problems, it's not quite as um, interesting a topic anymore. And it's the, you know, shouldn't you be over that by now starts to creep in. So I think we really have to take into account that this is going to be a long-term journey for those families and they're going to need support for a long time. This is not something that's going to be all right in six months' time. You've got bunches of families that have lost the head of the household and are now being, you know, raised as single-parent families. You've got, you know, obviously siblings... Um, this is a lot of trauma for a lot of people and it's going to be a big journey and it's going to take the, you know, the community support wrapping around those people for the long term to get them through that. But even for the students who have been in supporting roles or, as we said, who yep. demonstrated a sense of their maturity and agency, yep. don't assume that means they're all fine either by a long, by a long no, way. No, no. That just pulls them into proactive mode. So I think it's a really good thing to do because when trauma happens, you move into reactive mode. It's like it's, you've got that surreal feeling like you're in a dream and it's all happening, happening, happening to you. There's no agency there. So simply writing a card, taking a bunch of flowers and putting it on the memorial, doing the haka, all of those things move you into active mode. I think for the psyche, it makes you feel like you're a part of the solution so that you're clearly not a part of the problem. And that's just helpful. That sense of agency would be useful, as you said, beyond just one week or two weeks or a month of focus. And is this something else you can discuss with your children? I know a lot of parents, for example, um, have taken their kids to the vigil or have taken them to the mosque to lay some flowers or or, or something practical to help. But are there other things you can talk about that gives them a sense of contributing to trying to help? I think what I've been trying to do, because there are different agencies and the different people that have contacted me to be involved, is straight away talk about long-term plans. So, okay, we're not going to, you know, we're making a plan for quarterly meetings for the next two years for the workers who are supporting the Muslim families. So that straight away we're thinking about a two-year focus immediately right from the start. Our response isn't about immediate response. That right from the very start. So I talked to the kids about, well, this is going to be an ongoing thing. What do you think we can do in a, a year from now to show them that we haven't forgotten about them? You know, in 18 months from now, what are we going to be doing? I mean, it can be as simple as that, looking at four times a year where you're going to revisit that for the next two years to say, how can we support these families now? And just how I think sometimes just having dates for that, to know that, touchstones throughout the year, to stop and reflect and remember and to reach out and ask that community again, what else can we do? so that people know they're on a long-haul journey. The other thing about Friday was so many young people, I think 3,000 were in Cathedral Square for the event to campaign against climate change. And again, we use that word agency, yep. don't we? Like, come up with another word if you can. That sense of yep. someone at that stage of life having some yep. ability to do things to influence yeah. their futures. And will so they? Powerful. do we need to think about it and talk through it with them as well? Because their day... Yeah, yeah, got sort of sideswiped, didn't it? Um, I think the fact that we're still talking about them, though, I think they, those kids should know that they still made an impact. They still made an impression. We still know that the children of New Zealand have an opinion on that, and they're expressing their opinion. And they will have other opportunities to um, express that again. But, yeah.
it's a difficult one because well, there's nothing else but you know obviously their safety needed to come first but don't want them to feel like their voice was cut off and they weren't listened to because they do have a strong sense of agency now, Nathan, how long, a strange question to ask, but how long might you expect, whatever the age of your child, that this could pop up again or a sense of insecurity or a sense of fear or some, of something happening could pop yeah. up again? Yeah, there is no time limit on that, unfortunately. Kids, the way they develop psychologically, go through different stages where they have to deal with fear and they'll often pick the thing in their life that they found most fearful. And this will be that moment for lots of kids. It's a pretty rare thing if you're locked down in a hall told to get under a desk because there might be someone with a gun. That's not something. That's probably the most traumatic thing that's happened to lots of people. So, yeah, I would expect it to keep resurfacing. It doesn't mean the issue itself is resurfacing. It just means that, you know, when trauma happens, any trauma, then it tends to bring up the most recent trauma. So, you know, after the earthquakes, we had a whole spout of people confessing about childhood abuse and... Um, because the stress response comes up as the earthquake, but it just seems to push to the surface what is the most stressful thing you've experienced. So in that way, it could be coming up for kids, you know, for a lot of years to come. That is an interesting interesting one, actually, that it can sometimes take the scab off other wounds. Yes, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. That, that blew me away in the earthquakes. Like Literally, there was people running out of buildings that um, I, one person ran into my arms and within two minutes was disclosing their childhood sexual abuse. And then when I've you know, had a relationship with that person before uh, afterwards, they've never told anybody that before. So that just seems bizarre to other people from the outside, that you've just lived through an earthquake and you choose that moment to come running outside and start spilling off that. But it was just a very automatic process. Like you say, the scab comes off and the stuff that you've been holding in there, that trauma erupts. Which is something else to be ready as ready for as a parent, not necessarily something that serious, but it that's might right. be it might be a time where they talk about stuff they they haven't talked to you about. Yep, that's right. It could be completely unrelated, but now's the time to talk about it. The other point is, and I think you were hinting at this earlier, they want a sense of control back, and it's not just about what you say, but what you do. So if you turn off the TV and media, if you go out and do normal things, if your mood lifts and lightens and there's some laughs again in the day, yeah. as well as respect, they will mm. read off that. It's not just what you say, it's yeah. what you do. Oh, that's such such wise words, Catherine, because that's exactly what we're seeing, actually. That's I've been training teachers today. There's two days of you know responding to trauma and how they should respond, so... And already that's what the teachers are, the feedback they're giving me is that, yeah, the kids, the media's been turned off for the kids and the kids are a wee bit calmer. It's the parents that are in hyperarousal because they've turned it off for their kids, but they've been live streaming it all weekend. And, you know, the parents aren't really capable of calming the kids if they're them, letting themselves get traumatised. So there is a real message in there about self-care for parents. You've got to be looking after yourself and getting yourself calm. The time and the place is the other thing, and tomorrow will obviously be one. Tomorrow will be a day of great focus and symbolism and probably one that parents will want to engage in and want their kids to engage in um, yep. and, and, and is it a case of, of of behaving like that like when it is appropriate when we are all together yep. then you do it but then you also make sure those times of normality return and increasingly yes. return yeah I like that um, custom Māori have of when they leave the urupā or the cemetery or, you know, a tangi or a dead body, they always wash their hands. And I think that's a really good way of symbolically and psychologically making sure that you leave behind that trauma. So we, you know, we celebrate those people's lives, we mourn their deaths, we as a nation come together. But then after that, you've got to let go of that, you know, 
Um, I mean, you don't forget it, obviously, and the families are so impacted they're never going to forget it. Um, but you don't carry the trauma with you. You carry the memory and you carry the resilience, but not the trauma. So, yeah, being aware of that is good. Nathan, thank you. Nathan Wallace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 